0: We turn in Scripture to 1 Peter chapter 1. We will be looking at this chapter in the introduction and looking at the verse, the text, verse 13, through the course of the sermon. So it will be profitable to keep our Bibles open to this passage of Scripture this evening. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now verses three through twelve are one sentence. Uh, So pay attention as we read through these verses, verses three through twelve. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. "...reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire." might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation? The prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it, or he, testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister." Prophesy the things which are now reported or proclaimed unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who with respect, without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who... By him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls, and obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter is a preeminently practical letter. To put that another way, 1 Peter is a preeminently applicable, applicatory letter. The Apostle Peter writes here to saints who were suffering... In many different ways. We, we come across that suffering right away in verse 6 of chapter 1. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Verse 7, their faith was being tried. You, you read of that suffering in chapter 1. You read it in chapter 2. You read it in chapter 3. You read it in chapter 4. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, or perhaps better, which is trying you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Throughout this whole letter, there's this underlying idea that these saints to whom Peter writes were suffering. They were going through many different discouragements and difficulties and They are living in the acute consciousness that they are pilgrims and strangers. In all their sufferings, they are reminded that they are the unwanted in the earth. The world doesn't want them. And that comes out even right away in verse 1 of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers. Not strangers to Peter, but strangers to the world. Those who have been scattered abroad because of persecution. And they are... Very aware that they are pilgrims and sojourners on the earth. And so as Peter writes this letter to these saints who are suffering and discouraged, who are pilgrims and strangers, the main theme Peter emphasizes is hope. That's that's the theme of this letter. God's people need to have hope. God's people have hope. They have a glorious hope. And now they need to live out of that hope. And well, that's the broad context. That's, that's the broad outline of this letter. If we now focus in on just chapter 1, I think we can see clearly the logic of Peter's writing and thinking. Notice with me verses 3 through 12. As I said, verses 3 through 12 make up one sentence in the original. And in this one sentence, Peter is celebrating the wonders of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. He lists off some of the blessings of salvation. In fact, it starts right away in verse 2. They are elect according to, God, uh, to, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They are redeemed through the work of God the Son. They are sanctified through the work of God the Holy Spirit. It's all there in verse 2 in a nutshell. But then in verses 3-12, through 12, he kind of stretches it out and breaks it down a little bit. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What Paul emphasizes in verse 3 is this. God has regenerated you. He's brought you out of death into life. He's begotten you again unto a living hope. The hope of glory, verses 4 and 5. An inheritance incorruptible and that fadeth not away. Not only has God regenerated us, but God will preserve us in that salvation He has given us. Verse 5, we must not fear that we will lose our salvation in the midst of all the the difficult ways God is leading us, because God will keep us until the day when we enter into the fullness of our inheritance. Then he goes on in the rest of this sentence, these verses... To say how these are blessings you have that the saints in the Old Testament longed for. They, they looked into these blessings. The prophets searched diligently about these blessings that, that were coming to you as New Testament saints. He even says at the end of verse 12 that the angels themselves desire to look into these things. That's verses 1 through 12. The apostle celebrates the wonders of God's salvation. That's really what you did this morning. You celebrated what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. God has obtained for you, and He has imparted unto you a full and free salvation. He's delivered you from all your sins and iniquities, He has made you heirs of eternal life. And now, starting in verse 13, Peter begins to bring the admonitions, he begins to bring the application. He first lays out what God has done for his people in Christ, and then starting in verse 13, he begins to bring the admon- admonishments. Admonitions. That's how verse 13 starts. Wherefore? Wherefore? Because all this is true, now this is how you need to live. And so the text that we have before us this evening is a very significant text. I think we could say that this text that we're going to hear a sermon on, is the overarching admonition Peter gives in this entire letter. It's really the summary of everything else Peter is going to say in this letter. If you go down to verses 14-16, through 16, you see another admonition. Peter says in verses 14-16, through 16, Be holy. You see that at the end of verse 16. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, he's going to give another admonition. Pass the time of your earthly sojourning here in fear. And then throughout the rest of the letter, there's all kinds of admonitions. But here in verse 13, Peter gives the first and the fundamental admonition of the entire letter. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I hope with that introduction, you can already appreciate the power of what Peter is saying in the passage. And this passage is very fitting for us to consider as an applicatory sermon. You've heard what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. You've celebrated the wonder of your salvation. You've heard about the victory that is yours in Christ. And now we hear this admonition. How now must you live in the light of the great salvation God has given you? in the midst of the sufferings and discouragements of your life, how must you live? The first and the fundamental thing is this. Let your whole life be defined and shaped by hope. That is your duty coming from the Lord's Supper. That is the imperative, the admonition God gives you as His people. Let your whole life be shaped by hope. We take as our theme... An admonition to hope to the end. We look at three things. First, the needed admonition. Second, the sober manner. And third, the glorious incentive. Now to really understand the text, we need to first point out something about the grammar. In our King James, verse 13 reads as if the apostle is giving three admonitions. Gird up the loins of your minds, be sober, and hope to the end. In the original, however, it's slightly different. In the original, there really is only one admonition. And if we wanted to translate the verse maybe a little more accurately or literally, we could translate it this way. This is, this is the way that ESV translates it. Therefore, preparing your hearts, your minds, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The point here is, in this text, there are two participles and one imperative. Girding up the loins of your minds, that's that's a participle. Being sober-minded, that's a participle. And now here comes the imperative, here comes the admonition. Hope to the end for the glory, the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the main admonition in the text is hope. That's the command. That's the focus of this letter. Hope. And the Apostle uses that word hope in a different way than we so often use the word in our day-to-day language. Sometimes we might say, "I, I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow. As if our hoping is simply a wishful thinking. That's not the idea of hope in the Bible. According to the Bible, to hope is to set your soul on a divinely promised blessing. So hope, therefore, in the Bible has the idea of a certain and sure expectation of something. The the Christian's hope is not characterized by wishful thinking. The Christian's hope is characterized by absolute certainty. I'm hoping for it. I know it's coming. And I'm waiting for it to come. So hope, at least in this context also has the idea of looking ahead to the future. We hope for something that we are still waiting to receive. And we're looking ahead to the time when God will give us what we hope for. And then hope also has the idea of intense longing. We are thirsting for this. We have a strong desire for this. So when we hope, we are intensely longing for something that lies ahead in the future and something that we are sure is coming to us. That's hope. Now, what are we to hope for? The Apostle says, Hope for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And really, the idea there is this hope for the grace that is already being brought to you. It's already being brought to you, and it will be entirely brought to you in its fullness and beauty at the second appearing of Jesus Christ. That's the idea. Hope for that grace. Well, what is grace? We've looked at hope. What is grace? Grace is, first of all, unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. And grace here refers to God's favor towards His people. And by extension, it refers to all the blessings that God gives to His people in His favor for them. Already now we enjoy the grace of God. We enjoy God's favor. But there is a time coming when God's grace will realize its full purpose with us. And we will taste the fullness of God's grace. That's what Peter's referring to. Hope for that grace. That experience of the fullness. The perfection of experiencing God's favor. And, And the blessings. Put it that way, I should put it that way. The blessings that that favor will bring to you. Secondly, we can also speak of grace as power. Grace is power. Think of 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Grow in grace. How do you grow in grace? Well, grace is a power. Grace is spiritual strength. Grow in spiritual strength. And at Christ's second coming, we will enter into the fullness of grace as we enter into the fullness of the power of Christian living. Because at Christ's second coming, we will be transformed, we will be changed, and we will be made powerful in that glorified state. To live. This new and holy life perfectly. That too is what Peter is referring to. Hope for that grace, that holy living, that, that fullness of strength. And then, third, ultimately, grace means beauty. God Himself is the gracious God, God is the God of beauty. He, he is beautiful and gracious. And at the revelation of Jesus Christ, God will grace all His people. He will beautify them so that they reflect fully the beauty and and glory of God Himself. And that also is what Peter is referring to. Hope for that grace. Hope for that, Peter says. Hope for the day when you will be delivered from all the corruption of this world. From all sin and from all death. Hope for the day when you will see your Savior face to face and you will see God in the face of Jesus Christ. And hope for that day in which you will be delivered from all your sufferings and all your sorrows and all your tears and you will bear the image of the heavenly perfectly. Really, we could say it this way. Hope for the day when you will finish your earthly pilgrimage. You will no longer be pilgrims and strangers on the earth, but you will be at home in heaven with your Lord. Hope for the grace, for the fullness of salvation that is to be brought to you at the revelation, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Or to go back to verses 4 and 5. Hope for that inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You've been begotten again to that lively hope. Verse 3. Now out of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit, hope for that grace that is to come to you at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And then what else does Peter say? He says, Hope for that grace, and then he says, Hope to the end. What does that mean? Hope to the end. We hear Peter is emphasizing the activity of hoping. We, We could perhaps say it this way hope perfectly, hope fully. What does that mean? Hope to the end. What means? Hope with your whole being. With all your mind, soul, and strength. Don't give any room to doubt. As you walk your earthly pilgrimage, don't doubt. If you're doubting, you're not hoping. Wherever you're doubting, you're not hoping. Hope casts out doubt. And if you're not hoping with your whole being, then you're not hoping fully. Hope to the end. Hope fully. That's how we are supposed to hope. And then second, it means hope exclusively for this. Hope entirely only for this grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what that means is this. Don't hope for Christ's second coming and also hope for the things of this world. Don't halt between two different hopes. Don't have your hope fixed on the earthy, but have your hope fixed on the heavenly. Now that doesn't mean that we ignore or shun the things of this world. It doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves from the world and and from our callings and responsibilities. But it means that in all our interactions with this world and the things of this world, we're not captivated by them. We're not controlled by the things of this world. But in fact, we are controlled by the goal of heavenly things. And our, our life is lived out of this reality that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And everything that's entrusted to us here below, we are pressing it into the service of that spiritual kingdom, seeking the kingdom of God and its righteousness, seeking those things which are above, where Christ sits at God's right hand, and not seeking the things below. That's what it means to hope to the end. Hope with your whole being and hope exclusively for this. And then, third, it also means this never stop hoping. Endure in your activity of hoping. Hope to the end. And each day of your lives as pilgrims and strangers, live out of this principle of hope. That's the admonition. How important that hope is. For your calling to live a holy life, how important that hope is. Really, in the Scriptures, there's a really intimate connection between hope and holiness there's a connection that's emphasized in scripture to give you just one other passage what does the apostle john write in 1st peter 3 verses 2 and 3 he writes this 1st john 3 2 and 3 beloved now are we the sons of god and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is that's your hope And then what does John go on to say? He says this, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And in a sense, that's the whole letter of 1 Peter. Hope is a power. Hope is a power by which you are able to live the life you're called to live in the midst of your sorrows and persecutions and your pilgrim journey. Hope is that power. In fact, it's very striking that Peter, the first admonition he gives in this letter is not, be holy. In the immediately following verses, that's what he says, be holy, for I am holy. But what does Peter say first, even before that? He says, hope. That's how you will do it. That's how you will live faithfully in the life God has called you to live, in the power of hope, living by faith, we could say. Hope, that's how important this is. And isn't that a needed exhortation, congregation? For the saints to whom Peter's writing with all their fiery trials, it was needed. And for us today, too, it is needed. You have sorrows, too, don't you? You have discouragements. You have persecutions. You have family divisions. You have heartache and sorrow. Maybe marriages that are a sorrow to our hearts. We can be discouraged by the atmosphere in the church world today. And it weighs us down. It can be discouraging. What does the Holy Spirit tell us to do as we live our pilgrim calling? It says hope. Hope to the end. Hope to the end for that grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on that. I think of David. In the Psalms, you read of David going through so many struggles, so many persecutions... And what does David say? He's got a whole army camped against him. He's got men who want to eat up his flesh. He's got those who are attacking him viciously, persecuting him as a child of God, trying to kill him because he's a reflection of Jesus Christ. And what does David say? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Hope. Hope to the end. Psalm 130, verse 7. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption. Congregation, it's a true statement. Nothing is more likely to cause us to give up in the Christian life than discouragement. You keep getting knocked down. You keep experiencing setback after setback. And you begin to start asking yourself, what's the use? Why, why not just be done with it all? Throw in the towel and walk away. Discouragement and depression are great enemies to the Christian and his calling. Think of Elijah under the juniper tree. Elijah's asking God to take away his life. He's ready to quit. Why? Because he lost hope. He lost hope. And the Lord graciously came to him and, and gave him hope again. He says, Elijah, have hope. Elijah, there are yet 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, have hope. Uh, Elijah, I am God. There is none like me. I will accomplish my purposes here. I will keep my promises. I will preserve my church. Hope. That's the word that comes to you. Hope to the end. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are pilgrims and strangers. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of that. And don't be discouraged by that either. That's a blessing. So often we talk about being pilgrims and strangers and we almost have a tone that that we're losing something when we say that. And I think there's truth to that. It's carrying our cross. It's, it's denying ourselves. Losing our lives to find it in Christ. But, but that's not something to be down about. Because we have a sure and steadfast life that, it, that is awaiting us. This, this world is going to be destroyed. It's fleeting and transitory. This is not your home. And praise be the Lord for that. You have your eyes set on a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Remember that. And then keep on hoping for that. Don't lose sight of that. As I said, this is the foundational admonition in this entire letter. It's the foundation for every calling Peter's going to give the saints here in the rest of this letter. You have hope. You've been begotten again unto a lively hope. Now, hope. And live in hope having looked at that needed admonition in the second half of the verse we turn to the first half of the verse which gives us the manner in which this hoping is to be done or perhaps better what is required of us if we are going to live out of this principle of hope how are you going to hope well you're never going to hope to the end if you're not doing these two things first gird up the loins of your mind and second be sober. These are the necessary things that accompany the activity of hoping to the end. First, gird up the loins of your mind, or girding up the loins of your mind. And that's a beautiful figure of speech. Maybe you children know that in Peter's day, the people wore long, flowing robes. And those robes were comfortable when they didn't have to do anything. But those robes were inconvenient and cumbersome when when they had to run or when they had to exert themselves with strenuous activity. And so what they would do was they would gird up their loins. They would gather up their robe and they would tuck it into their belt. Maybe they would put their robe through their legs and, and tuck it into their belt so that they could run and they could work. And the expression that we would use today would be very similar. Roll up your sleeves. Gird up your loins. Roll up your sleeves so that you're ready for the work. And Peter says that, and he applies it to their minds. He says, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. And literally, it's not just the mind, but it's your thinking, your discernment. Gird up the loins of your thinking. Get ready to put your thinking to work so that you can distinguish the things of the world from the things of the kingdom of heaven so that you can hope. And the point is, how important isn't our thinking for our activity of hoping? How you think is how you go. As a man thinks in his heart and mind, so he is. And these words would seem to imply that the greatest hindrance to the exercise of, of hoping is found within us, ourselves, in the thoughts and intents of the mind and the heart. And when the loins of your mind are girded up, then your inner man is ready and able to hope and to function properly in your mind you need in your mind in your thinking you need to keep your focus on your hope and if you keep your hope before you if in your mind you keep that certain expectation of that glorious future in front of you then your whole life and your walk will also respond accordingly be careful how you think be careful how you think about your trials and your sorrows. Be careful how you think about your job. Be careful about where you put your affections. Think of it a greedy man who lets his mind go astray so that he starts falling in love with the things of this world. He's not going to live by hope, he's not hoping. And then when things turn south for him, he suddenly becomes hopeless and discouraged. All is lost. And he becomes an easy prey for the devil. Because he hasn't been girding up the loins of his mind. Think of a slothful man who lets his mind go astray so that he falls in love with an easy and and careless, reckless lifestyle. He's not living by hope. And when the fiery trials come, he won't be prepared for them. He will be so easily destroyed. Or think of an anxious man who forgets his hope and and he's only looking at the world around him and he sees all the bad news on TV and and he's so easily swallowed up by the cares of the world so so that he becomes a spiritual scatterbrain. That's really the calling here. You can't be a spiritual scatterbrain. As Matthew Henry puts it, you have a journey to go, a race to run, a warfare to accomplish, and a great work to do. As the traveler the racer, the warrior, and the laborer gather in and gird up their long and loose garments that they may be more ready, prompt, and expeditious in their business, so do you by your minds, your inner man, and affections seated there. Since you are so highly honored and distinguished by God, since you have God's blessing so richly bestowed upon you, you've been begotten to a living hope. You now also have a Christian calling. You have the calling to live as a pilgrim and stranger, unwanted in the earth. Make sure now your mind is ready for the work. Gird up the loins of your mind. And then Peter says, be sober. Being sober-minded. And it's a similar idea. Don't be drunk. And he means don't be spiritually drunk. Just as a drunk man loses control of his faculties and power and he he loses his ability to function at his job and at his home or in society as a a rational person, so you, spiritually, don't be drunk. What that means is, don't be intoxicated with the things of this world and the pleasures of life. Think soberly. Recognize the reality of the situation. Realize that there is an eternity An unending length of days that lies before you. And realize that you have the hope of heavenly glory. Realize that this earthly life is not your home. Your earthly circumstances here below, they are not your final circumstances. And praise be the Lord for that. Your circumstances here are not your final circumstances. To be sober is to be realistic with all these things. Drunkenness brings delusion. To be drunk is to think that I will be happy by committing adultery. That's a delusion. To be drunk is to think that pornography isn't going to hurt my brain. It's not going to wreck my brain. It's not going to hurt my soul. And the worldly music or worldly entertainment isn't going to have its effect on me either. That's being drunk. To be drunk is to think that having ungodly friends isn't going to be a snare for you. To be drunk is to think that you can, you can afford to neglect the means of grace. You can think you are wiser than God. And then you stagger through life. You're disoriented. You're, you're, you're unable to control your conduct in a way that pleases the Lord until finally you stumble and fall. This is sometimes how some fall into hell. Hell. It should be obvious that one who is spiritually drunk cannot and is not living by hope. To be sober is to realize that indulging in sin is going to make me miserable. To be sober is to realize I need to be in God's Word. And then I not only realize it, but I actually do it. To to be sober is to realize that as a child of God, this world is not my home. And I will feel like a stranger as a Christian. Because I am a stranger. To be sober is to always keep before me that Jesus is coming. And my calling is to watch unto prayer and to be ready for His coming. To be sober is to realize I need to flee from my sins. And to be sober is to realize that nothing in this world is going to be perfect. But for us who are the children of God, the world to come, that will be perfect. That will be perfect. Life with God, perfect sinlessness. Seeing my Savior. In a word, to be sober is to live in the light of eternity. And to be drunk is to live for the moment. The the culture we live in is drunk. It's living for the moment. And we're called to be sober. That's how you hope. The, The world we live in has no hope. What reason do they have to be sober? Get drunk, eat and drink, tomorrow we die, and we have no hope. We're called to be sober because we have that hope. We gird up the loins of our mind and we think soberly. That's how we hope to the end. And how is all this done? Well, Peter spends the rest of the letter explaining how this is done. It it, it almost moves you to to want to study the rest of the letter. We think upon the truth. How do we do this? How do we gird up the loins of our mind? How do we live sober-mindedly? Peter says, verses 14 through 16, be holy. Recognize that God is a holy God and you have the calling as his child to be holy. Verse 17, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Be reverent and and fear God. Verse 22, think upon the truth that you are called to love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's your calling. Think upon the calling that, that you have to desire the sincere milk of the word. Live faithfully in your marriage. Be a man who dwells with your wife as a man of understanding. Be faithful as a servant in your employment. Endure persecution. Be a blessing to others. Serve one another. Chapter 5, resist the devil who walks about as a roaring lion. You're calling resist the devil. Be humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Submit yourselves to one another. And Peter touches upon all these things in the letter But this this is really the first admonition. It starts here. Think of that glorious future that is awaiting. Cut up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end, and that's going to help all these other things fall into place in your life. Think of the glorious future that is awaiting you. And that's what I would refer to as the incentive, the glorious incentive. At the very beginning of the text, you have that word, wherefore. Wherefore, and that means, in the light of all these things, in the light of verses 3 through 12, carry out this exhortation. You have a great salvation in store for you. You have an eternity in heaven in store for you, congregation. Do you realize that? Do you realize you have an eternity with your Savior in glory? Heaven is waiting you. After after the persecutions and sorrows and discouragements of this life are over, Jesus purchased that eternal life for you on the cross. You celebrated that this morning. God has ordained it from eternity, and the Holy Spirit has already begun imparting it to you. You feel this beginning of eternal life. You have been begotten again unto a living hope. You have that hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Your sins are forgiven. You have peace with your Creator, your Maker, who is not just your Maker. He is your Father and your Savior and your Friend. And you have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So great is this salvation that even the angels themselves desire to look into it. Astonished they are by how great this salvation is. And so in this present life, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. If need be, in this present life, you are in heaviness through many trials. That's true. But look ahead to what is in store for you. Yes, run the race, walk your pilgrim journey. Be in this world. Do what God has called you to do. Be faithful in your homes and your, your families and your marriages, in the church, at work. Labor in the king's service while the king is tearing and has not returned. But as you do all these things, keep looking ahead. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize. A glorious prize, a gracious prize freely given to you. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize for the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. You have hope, beloved. A certain and sure future. Never forget that. Coming from the Lord's Supper, that's the admonition. Never forget that. You have hope. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. He gives us grace for each moment. His grace is already flowing to us. And His grace, we experienced it this morning, I'm sure you were strengthened By the means of grace, strengthened you are, equipped now to handle again the trials of life that are before you in this week. And when Christ comes again, that grace that sustains you moment by moment is going to carry you into Father's house and will sustain you perfectly in the great glory that is to come in the age to come. That's how we're called to live as now we hear all the other admonitions that God's word might bring us. We could say, bring them to us, Peter. Bring them to us, because we're ready. Because we're hoping. We have that hope. We know our salvation. Lord's Supper table, we know that salvation. Wherefore, wherefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, my friends in the Lord, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be sober. And hope. Hope to the end. Hope fully. Hope exclusively. Hope with a hope that endures. Hope to the end for that grace, that blessedness that beauty that will be brought to you at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for making us pilgrims and strangers. We thank Thee for the salvation Thou hast given us in Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for the confidence and the hope that is ours. Now, O Lord, we pray, strengthen us in that hope. Give us the grace to heed these admonitions and to live our lives victoriously, knowing the certain end that is ours as Thy people. Use this preaching to shape our hearts, to bless our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We sing together Psalter number 202. Let's sing all three stanzas. Thinking about the hope that is ours, that's also what we sing about here in these stanzas. Let's sing all three stanzas, Psalter number 202.